You know, I want you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 13. If you don't have your Bible, it's on page uh, 1069 in the Bible under the seat in front of you. Again, as we always say, if you don't own a Bible, we want this to be our gift to you because we believe everybody needs to not only have God's Word, but get into God's Word, okay? And I tell you, there's a big difference. We could have a whole bunch of Bibles around the house, but how much are we allowing the Word of God to get into us? And so um, I wonder if we want to follow along. Um, but, I, but before we get into the message here today, I want to set the stage. It's almost like a, a, a great drama, a great play. You, you need to set up the stage so that you can uh, really understand the context. And I, I really want to hook you as to why the subject matter we are covering today is so incredibly important. Because you're going to hear uh, something here today. In fact, uh, as we've been talking about the vision of Ezekiel 47 and, and how uh, Grace Spring Bible Church plays into this, that the picture of Ezekiel 47 was that there is a river of life, a river of blessing that is flowing from the temple from the assembly of the people of God, from that place of meeting with God. And it is going, and it becomes a, a wild torrent to the places that are dry. And every place that river of life goes, things that are dead turn to life. Okay? Now, that's the kind of influence, impact I want us to have. And so we've been talking about these four currents in the last four weeks. Love the marginalized. That, man, who are those that are neglected, that Jesus never neglected? He went and he addressed people where they were. He didn't have to have them clean up their act for them to deserve his attention. No, he went to the marginalized. Um, that the gospel helps ignite gospel imagination, how we are able to get the love of God to a world in such desperate need of the message that God is for you. Then last week we were talking about forging healthy families and, and just that all of that is done through the power of the gospel. Now some of you might get tired of that word gospel around here, but gospel means good news. And I like good news. How many of you like good news? I like good news. The tragedy is so much of the messaging in church world from Christians themselves is that it's really not good news. It's a list of rules. And I don't want to give my life to a list of rules. It's just like rules are, are no fun. It's the relationship of the living God. And so today we read a phrase that is so overused that some business books have just kind of thrown out this concept of servant leadership. What I've always loved about reading leadership books is that it's almost like, hey, our studies show, and I remember years ago, uh, there, there was the, the book, a Good to Great, and if you were a business leader, that's the kind of book you read, and it's like, how do you become a great uh, company um, versus a good company, and you become a great company by servant leadership of its leaders, <laughs> that the leaders dare to stoop, okay? But here is the great challenge for us today, is that um, this has become so overused that I think we've just grown numb to the kind of leadership the Lord has called us to. I mean, we just sung a song, the son of suffering, that Jesus was the son of suffering. 
he had to endure the cross willingly so that he could get to the resurrection. There's no resurrection if there's no death. We want resurrection. We don't want death. And if you are a leader, I meet with leaders, and leaders or those of influence in today's day are beat down. Whether you are trying to lead a company, whether you're trying to lead a, a, a business, a group of people, um, I, I'm just seeing so much discouragement in that realm of people who are trying to lead other people. COVID has gotten people crazy. It's because of this idea of trauma. People have been in this extended time of trauma. And in trauma, people have grown very passionate about some things. Have you noticed that? Yeah, people have grown very, very passionate. And in their passion, people have become very opinionated about things. And then you're trying to lead people who are both passionate and opinionated, and it is very, very difficult. Could you agree with me on that? It can be a little bit difficult. And this is the hard part that I was really wrestling with the Lord yesterday on how much to be transparent and vulnerable with you. But I have just learned that this is a place that I've got to be okay with that. And so I'm going to do that here today. Many times how we leaders or those especially in pastoral leadership positions, we like to be liked. All right? I mean, okay, you can see that as a weakness, but I'm just telling you, we like to be liked. And in times like this, in times like this, the political day and age in which we live, people have opinions. People have passions. And so then I've been flooded with emails. And some of those emails are, oh, here. You know what? Here is a pastor who preaches out in this state, and you need to be more like him. Oh, wait, 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 wait. No, this is not any pity party. I, 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 that's why I was wrestling with the Lord. I don't want any of this to seem like a pity party. I'm just trying to invite you into my world and in the world of anyone who is leading people today. There is no shortage of opinions. And it's just how is it that we then invite people in? And so somebody like me can ignore the 99 great things that are happening. I'm just being honest with you guys. Can ignore the 99 things and really focus on, man, they had in this statement, I have never led this church until I brought up proposal three. And they said, you are finally leading. Okay, now. No, 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 no. I, I, I want to explain something here because I want to save myself for more emails, okay? <laughs> so, so those of you online, I know we have some people out of state, you're watching online, and some of you are sending stuff to me, and I love you, and, uh, but I, I, I just want you to understand that when there is heavy criticism as people, I'm just saying as people, human beings, we can have the tendency to do three things when this kind of stuff is happening to you as a leader. We can have the tendency of uh, labeling people and say, oh, well, that's them. Uh, they're in that group. Uh, there's really no reasoning with them. And you see what I've just done. You've seen the danger in that. 
Leaders, do you see the danger in that? We can be very tempted to label and put people in groups and say, that's just how they're going to be. And I am just going to not interact much with that. Or um, we retaliate. And we can retaliate in very passive ways. Any of you ever retaliate in a passive way? People retaliate in very passive ways because they want to convince themselves we're really not retaliating. We're just telling you our opinion and we're masking it a little bit, okay? Um, But here's the great temptation as a leader that if you fall into the retaliation and I am so ticked at them, I'm coming after them, that's not good either. That is totally not good. And then there's a third way, I I think is, and, and that is to hold back. And I see pastors really wrestling with this, folks. I'm telling you. I meet with pastors from this side of the state and the other side of the state. And I I tell you, it is almost this hardness of heart that is growing of those that are in the pastorate because they're trying to lead their sheep and they realize something about sheep. Sheep have teeth. seriously now not the fangs that can like thrash you around and all that kind of stuff but man that can hurt I've got bit by a goose before and that hurt okay so you can have that and and this kind of thing can can really hurt but I'm here to tell you uh, let me just set the record straight just so you understand where I'm coming from because I know sometimes people can't evaluate churches and is this the kind of church I want to be part of I am trying to contend for the miracle of the gospel, and that is where diverse people can come together under the authority of Jesus Christ and worship him. Okay? I'm for that. I like to be very adamant of doing what the gospel is clear on, and I like to steer away from what the Bible is not as clear about. And I know ticks some of you off. I get that. I understand that. That's why I said in these times, the church has become so homogenized. People are leaving for this, and they're going to this church, and we got to be a church that does this. And I keep saying, when is it that what the church stands for, I I, I mean, what is that? Um, God has called we as the family of faith to stand for things. And what God's word calls us to that we should be unashamed in our commitment to always contend for life. Whether it's the unborn or those who are born, we contend for life. Last week we were very clear, and we've got a shine ministry that is really starting to get traction now. Of those kids that need a little bit extra attention, we want to be the church that comes along families for that. Yes, we value all of life, but I had to address Proposal 3 because it's big on the Michigan docket. It's a constitutional change, and it's the most egregious, egregious, um, it, it, it paves the way for all kinds of stuff that is so counter to the moral law of God. It's not politics. That is not politics. But then where those who get into politics say, well, yeah, but if you uh, voted for my candidate, I, I go, I do not see Jesus ever tying himself to political entity ever. Now show that to me and you might change my mind. 
but I don't see it. In fact, in Luke 12, there was a dispute that somebody invited uh, Jesus into and said, hey, uh, uh, teacher, uh, can you make sure the inheritance gets split equally? And you know what Jesus said? Not having anything to do with that. My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. And what makes me misunderstood by people who say you don't get political enough is because people uh, take that to mean that, that I don't care about the right stuff. But here's the truth. Everybody has a whole bunch of stuff that has fed where you are today. And the reason so many pastors are jumping out, I mean 10,000 pastors a week are putting in their notice saying we're done. We're done. 10,000 a week is the national average right now. I love my job. I love my job. I'm just saying at times, you know, e even like tomorrow, I am taking a risk in saying this, but I love tomorrow night in that kids, one time a year, come to my house and I can spoil them. <laughs> Don't send me emails, please. <laughs> Do not send me emails. I'm just saying, well, now you're, so, I, I'm not, so, but I am saying kids are coming to my house and I'm going to show them the love of Jesus with a big old candy bar. All right? Yeah. Now again, someone's clapping. That's great. Thank you, brother. Makes me feel good. Other people are just like right down in your notes going, oh man, I'm, I'm so done with this church. I, I, I just said that is the reality. So, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Wow. <laughs> Kenneth Dot Price at Grace Spring. <laughs> Church.org. Okay, here we go. Um, you guys, this, none of this has been in my notes. I just want to speak from my heart today because I want to make it very real. We can hit this very familiar subject matter today and it's not real to us. We really need it to be real. I'm praying that it becomes real for the places of influence. So this is why uh, we want to be a church about empowering servant leadership. That the greatest gift we can be in this community is have an environment out here here where we are training up leaders, doing a better job than we've ever done before, training up leaders to lead like Jesus. And so um, because of that, I'm going to invite uh, Brandon Fuller up here on stage. Uh, Brandon, just such a great part of our uh, church staff. Um, have you ever noticed our facilities at Grace Spring look pretty doggone good when you drive by? Okay. Um, Brandon and his team are the reason for that, and the volunteer teams he leads. So, uh, Brandon, tell us something about yourself. Good morning. Um, I'm Brandon Fuller, facilities manager here at Gray Spring. Um, next month will be about four years since I started here. Um, it's definitely been a change beforehand. Um, well, let me get back to my family first, I guess. Um, I have a beautiful and amazing wife and a large family. Um, before moving to Michigan, we were serving in Africa uh, for two and a half years in Zambia, um, and the Lord just brought us here right into a Michigan winter, so that was fun. Um, but either way, here, um, it's been really neat just with our, uh, you know, I have a small staff team, and we have a huge volunteer team, and they're amazing. I can't say enough good things about them, um, and it, it's an honor to lead them um, and just be part of that group. Um, 
Brandon, thanks so much. Your team does such a great job. Hey, can we all now stand for the reading of God's Word, John chapter 13, verses 1 to 20. And again, we're on page uh, 1069. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if, you do not, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. <clears throat> Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray. Who was to betray him. And that is why he said, not all of you are clean. When he, had hurt, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Thank you, Brandon, so much for that. I invited Brandon up here because, man, he's a big buff guy, and uh, I, I could still beat him in a wrestling match, but um, just kidding. And, and that's not a challenge because you would really beat me. But what I love about Brandon is that he has such a servant heart, and everything we're reading about, I see that in him. And uh, I, I, I love that. I appreciate so much when I see that and we see that in one another. Um, you know, there is something that we all have, whether you are a Christ follower or not. It applies to every one of us. And what we have been gifted by God is this, a conscience. Okay? Now, are all consciences made the same? Nah, not really. There's so many things that can form the environment we've been raised in, the experiences we've had, the cultures we find ourselves in, has all contributed 
to something called the conscience. Now, we are all created in the image of God, both male and female, created in the image of God, and we've been given this gift by God that we, we, we kind of fundamentally know in our heart of hearts what is good or what is not good, but in our environments and cultures which we're raised, it can reinforce different things, and actually, it is possible for a conscience to grow numb to the ways of God. Would you agree with that? Okay, so... Here's what a conscience is. The inner sense of what is right or wrong in one's conduct or motives, impeding one towards, or I'm sorry, impeding, impelling one towards right action, okay? But here's the truth. Every one of us, our our consciences have been shaped by a variety of things. Well, here um, in the text, we're going to be introduced to, again, In the story, two guys are on the extreme end of the spectrum. And 20 times in the New Testament, there is a list of disciples. And who's usually first on the list and who's usually on the second? Simon Peter is usually the first. Judas Iscariot is usually the last. Okay, there's a reason for that. Um, And and we see that here. Now, we got to know the context is... This is within hours of Jesus's crucifixion. This is like his final message, and it's going to be a, a demonstration of, he says, what I am calling you as my Christ followers into. Now, these are his 12 disciples, those that he spent three years with. So this is his audience here in this upper room. And uh, what the Gospel of Luke's account of the story includes, and that is leading up to this time, the disciples, the 12, were arguing over who was the greatest. Okay? So, you need to know that in context. These guys are going, hey, Jesus, you said the kingdom's coming. Hey, who's going to sit at your right hand? Um, I think I deserve that. No, I think I deserve that. And they were clamoring for that. And when you are clamoring for status and you're clamoring for position, when you're clamoring for those things, the last thing you want to be seen as is humble. Right? Because everyone should be serving you because you are so good. But here... Jesus is doing something magnificent, the empowering of a servant leader, the kind of leadership that has resilience. If there is a word that I pray over you and I pray over myself, Lord, help me be resilient. What is resilience? Um, Have you, you seen one of those Nerf soccer balls? You can squeeze them, you can form them, and then you let them go, and they go back into place. That is resilience. You can beat them up, you can do whatever, but it's going to be resiliently coming back to its original shape and form. And in fact, that's what God's word calls us to. And he is saying, okay, I know what you guys are going to be going through. You are going to be going through confusion because he knows he is dying a death that he willingly goes to do for you and me. Jesus is on his way to the cross, okay? So he now says, if you want to have sustaining power, here we go. Here's how you get it. And so notice here it says that um, who's, 
notice it says in verse, the end of verse 1, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Isn't that a great statement? He said, I didn't fall short of loving them. I didn't put them in a category of us and them. Didn't do that. No. Even though they disagree with me, even though there's some things they don't understand, I'm going to continue to press into that. So he loves them to the end. But then notice the very first character, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son. Now, how would you have liked to have been Judas's dad? The only time you're mentioned in Scripture, the only time you're mentioned in Scripture is that your son betrays God himself. This is why we do men's breakfasts coming up here in a couple weeks. To pour into men because we live in a day where men are not rising up. They're waiting for their women to rise up. And uh, God has called you men to rise up. So anyway, it says Judas Iscariot to betray him. That it is during supper when the devil had already put into his heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon, Simon, uh, Simon's son, to betray him. I want you to think about that. Where has Judas been for three years? Oh, he's been following Jesus for three years. He's been following Jesus for three years. He's been seeing the miracles for three years. He has been hearing the words that lead to life for three years. Judas has had the same opportunity as everybody else. And guess where his eternal destination is. Hell. Okay, Pastor, you can't be saying that. We live in America. Everybody in America dies and they go to a better place. No, the word of God gives assurances. Gives assurances. I, I tell you, guys, this is, as a pastor in the Americanized Western church is so difficult Because popular opinion has so infiltrated the church that when pastors dare to try to teach truth from the authority of the word of God, given out of the inspirational love of God, so that we could have life and really live. And the world's like, ah, yeah, God's holding out on you. Well, that sounds like the tempter in the Garden of Eden. God's holding out on you. And look how it worked out. True death. So here is something I think is so important for empowering servant leadership. It finds its origin in our position in Jesus. Servant leadership. See, Judas was not a servant leader. Now, you you read about Judas, and he complained about his money, and he pretended to care about the poor. But elsewhere in Scripture, it says that Judas robbed from God. Question, are you robbing from God? Are you robbing from God? In a crowd this size, this is a large crowd, a crowd this size, the difficulty is that I know that there are tares among the wheat. And my job as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to continue to bring you back to the authority of the word of God and just say, are you actually... You, you can come to church all you want. You can get into the Bible all you want. But unless you allow the Word of God to get into you as evidenced by you obeying the Word of God, then you could be a Judas. I don't want that for you. Do you want that for you? 
No, it is in obedience. But see, now you've got this other character, Simon Peter. Um, Simon Peter said what I have found myself not saying verbally but acting out is, Jesus, you don't need to wash my feet. I'm really doing a pretty good job of keeping my feet clean. But look at those guys over there. See, the them, you know, we are good here because we believe, everyone believes in my same conscience. Man, everyone, we're good here. It's just them. They need the foot washing, Jesus. Woo. Have you done that or is that just me? Anyone? Oh, come on, chickens. Especially those that might have legalistic backgrounds, performance, performance, performance. Hey, I'm doing pretty good. No, we all know in our soul that we mess up, don't we? So he came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. To which Peter again puts foot in mouth. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Um, and then I want to read on. It says, Simon Peter said to him, Move then, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. Now, do not teach that to your kids. Okay? This is not something. I mean, it's just like, hey, wash my feet. I don't want to take a bath. Jesus said, wash the feet, everything else is clean. No, here is what Jesus is saying there. He's saying, no, you're already clean, Peter. You, you are trusting that I am who I say I am. Judas did not trust. He followed. He took advantage of the notoriety. But in his heart, his heart had grown hard against me, but you're still as soft. You're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Peter was not perfect. He messed up time and time again. But notice that statement um, in verse 10. You are clean. That you there is plural. He's saying you all are clean. You are clean. You've been following me. You're allowing the truth of who I am to get in your heart. You don't fully understand yet, but you will. See, faith sometimes is just following. We don't have to have everything understood. We don't always understand the what. But we can trust Jesus each and every time. See, the position of Peter, unlike Judas, was that he saw Jesus for who he was and was secure in his position in Jesus. But what happens many times in the church of Jesus Christ, the empowering of a servant leader finds its origin in our position in Jesus while contending in our present condition against sin. How many of you struggle with sin? What? But you've been given the Holy Spirit of God. Why will you struggle so much? Because God's word says there's always a battle between the flesh and the spirit. Always a battle. That's why I have this wage war around my wrist. It's not that, man, I'm defiant against uh, political leaders or this or that. It's, man, I wage war against Satan himself. Okay? But I think this is where we miss it. I think so many times we see Jesus as the one who has forgiven us, but we do not see Jesus as the one who ongoingly cleanses us in our need for that cleansing. 
I need that each and every day. I need it each and every day. Lord, man, my, my thoughts against this person, they tick me off. My thoughts against them, hey, that was not uh, putting every thought captive and submitting it to the authority of Christ. So please, Lord, forgive me. And guess what 1 John 1, 9 says? If we confess our sins, he promises to do what? He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that good? But we can't just say, oh, he's forgiven me now. I just live however the heck I want. It's like, no, that was Judas. That was not what Jesus calls on his disciples. Third, so that we can live with a conscience that is at peace. This is why our lifestyle should be that of confession and repentance. Not, oh, have I lost my salvation? No, that is not the fear. You say, well, Judas lost his salvation. No, I would condemn that Judas never even saw Jesus for who he was. It says the demons believe in Jesus. What's the difference? Obedience. See, we need to live with consciences that are at peace. See, Jesus is saying this. A servant, in verse 16, is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. What are we seeing Jesus doing? Jesus is doing an active type of love. So many of us, we wait till we feel like doing something. Love is not a feeling. Love is not a feeling. I think so many times love gets so confused with a feeling. I'm not feeling it. No. Love is an action. It is a choice. And we do this so that we have clear conscience before the Lord. Resulting in serving others as Jesus served us. Ooh, we don't like that statement. We, I mean, we have that on our coffee cups. Serve like Jesus. Um, how do you serve like Jesus? Can I focus on one ingredient that is destroying the church of Jesus Christ? Our willingness to not forgive. Destroying the church. Our willingness not to forgive. We live in a culture that is so follows, the church so follows the pattern of this world. Oh, you took them, um, they ticked you off. Okay, well, let's get our camp, let's talk bad about them. And then we get this circle over here. Oh, I get my camp, I talk bad about them. And for some reason, that is tolerated in the church of Jesus Christ. Why is Jesus saying this? And why is this Jesus' very last act before the cross? Because this is going to feel like a cross. Forgiveness is going to feel like torture. That's why we don't want to do that. Because the torture. Oh, well, then they're, then they're going to think I'm not on their team anymore. That's why I'm team Jesus. <laughs> because everyone's going to disappoint and I tell you, God's word says, live peaceably with all as far as it depends on you. And I, I know in relationships that I know there's an issue, 
I reach out and reach out and say, we got to talk, we got to talk, we got to talk. I ain't talking. No, you're just, you are this kind of person. And so all of a sudden, it's just like, okay, where does God get the glory in this? And so then you move on. (laughs) I tell you, in leadership, sometimes there are those you just have to move on from because they're so toxic. But as a pastor, you don't have the freedom to do that. God's word doesn't allow me to just say, I cannot ignore the sheep. Yes, they intend to bite. That's okay. What does a pastor do? He continues to press in and say, let's resiliently handle this. But folks, what Jesus is modeling is that the love of God stoops. The passage Craig read Philippians 2, Jesus emptied himself and he made himself nothing. And he took on the name that is above every name, but that didn't happen without going first to the cross. Servant leadership dares to go to the cross. As I tell you, the the greatest gift we can give this community, the greatest gift we can give the world is communicating that, man, I love you and you don't have to agree with me and your conscience might be a little bit wired different than me, but here's the deal. Man, Jesus loves you and I want to take down any obstacle that is going to get that message out to you. Jesus loves you. He, he, he loves you. This is why we serve from greeting to ushering to worship leading to teaching to whatever. Everything that we do here is to project a message, Jesus loves you. And you can be a jerk to me, and that's okay, because I will forgive you. It's not going to stick. It's not going to stick. See, why we need this from Jesus, why we need this from Jesus is because we need to be reminded of who we are in him. That's where our security is found. It's in our position. And because of our position, we've got to contend for our condition so that our conscience is clear, so that we can continue to serve as Christ served. Are you getting it? So do it. (laughs) Um, A few weeks ago, we had this core team assessment. I'm sure some people said, "Eh, I'm not doing that kind of thing. I don't want to serve. Guys, I'll tell you, if you are part of this church family and you're not serving, you're not giving um, time, talent, and treasure, it's just like, well, then find a church you can do that and be excited about. That's all I'm going to say. Next week, we're going to start a new series called The Gift of Generosity. And I'll tell you, this has been a very generous church. And I'm excited to see all the groceries coming in. You know, our goal is to have 200 bundles of groceries to give to those in our community in need. And these are coming in. Just want to remind you, if you haven't signed up for that, you can do that. But uh, do this core team assessment and figure out where God might be using you. So I'm going to invite the worship team out right now as we respond. But I want you... I want to close with this slide. How low are you willing to go so that others may encounter the love of Jesus? And the specific low might be how willing are you able to forgive those so that the majesty and glory of the Savior, I mean, the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us.
says, as I am forgiving, Lord, please forgive me that same way. Oh, he has forgiven us that way. And, and, and I'll tell you, I don't know what an ankle deep kind of situation is for you in forgiveness. It might be just making contact with somebody and say, hey, you know what? I've had this, I, I've had this against you and it's not right. And can we meet and can we talk? It doesn't mean you'll clear everything up, but it sure means that you have the choice. Are you going to willingly allow something to come between um, another? I mean, I, I still, the, it just blows me away that Jesus washed Judas' feet. I, I, I can't believe that. But that's what servant leadership does. You intend to do me harm, that's okay. I'm going to give you my best. I'm going to give you my best. I'm going to give you my best. I'm not going to categorize you. I'm not going to passively, aggressively go after you. I'm going to give you my best. So I want you to pray. I just want you to pray. Quietness, nothing extravagant, nothing whatever. You and God right now. He wants to invite you into deeper waters with him. Don't convince you yourself that you're in deep waters if you're puddling in the shallows, harboring resentment and anger and angst and all this kind of stuff. No, let that go. And let that be nailed up on the cross. Why? So that you will see the power of the resurrection. Amen. Let's spend some time in silence. Dear Jesus, you have said that forgiveness is refusing to make others pay for what they did or didn't do to you. And I thank you, Lord, that your cross absorbed that debt. Lord, it's only through death where we find the magnificence of life. And Lord, that's what you've called us to be servant leaders. And Father, I pray for us to have the courage to be obedient to your word. Not to take the model of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of the picture that you have given us of how you have called us 
to lead and influence others. Father, love is where the power is. Help us to be people who love like Jesus, even or especially when that involves the death to what we think is fair and just. But Lord, help us trust your word enough to know that lack of forgiveness just keeps us in a bondage and it impacts our testimony of the Jesus that we say we honor. Help us not lie to ourselves. Help us to be truthful with ourselves. Lord, may we truly be worshipers, those who live a blessed life because we dare to trust your word. We pray these things in your most holy and precious name. And all God's children said, Thank you.